What does that mean? It means he starts making up words. Look, they're doing math. I don't think that's a conversation appropriate for children. I don't want secrets. The meaner you are, the more I like you. It didn't mean anything, okay? I'm sorry, does it offend you? I'm sure you know something I don't. I feel strange having to talk to you in this way. My God, you haven't thought this through. Mr. Campbell, who cares? Welcome to Mad Men, Men, the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Each week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series Mad Men, which ran from 2007 to 2015. During our conversation, around the conversation, the show is having about gender, the patriarchy, and elections that a lot of people probably don't know a lot of information about. Okay, with me on Mad Men, Men, I'm of course John Negroni, as per usual, but here are my running mates. First off, um... Will, why are you, why are you digging a hole yet again on this show? Are you planning to blow somebody up? It's Washington. Hello. And there's his commanding officer, and uh, he's he's not looking so good. He's looking a little bit mangled. It's Michael Overholz. Mangled Michael. John, John, you peed yourself. Oh, that's not uh, pee. I think that's gasoline. Um, but don't worry. I'm just going to smoke a quick cigarette and clean it up. Guys, welcome back to the show. We're talking about um, what a lot of people consider to be one of the best episodes of Mad Men, one of the best episodes of uh, TV of that era. But you don't seem excited. I mean, I was going to say, I mean, I was going to wait until we got a little bit deeper into the episode, but this might be, at least so far, my favorite episode of the season. Yeah, yeah. Upon Will, this Will, rewatch. Will texted me. He's like, this is a good-ass episode. But Will, it sounds like you only like this episode because people actually get laid in this episode. As opposed well, that's to part of summer. it. Because, yeah, I mean, I wasn't around for last week's episode. I can't comment on what you guys already said so i don't want to repeat anything that might have already been uttered about the show right uh, however yeah, you haven't listened you haven't we haven't released that episode yet so you don't know what, what mm. mike and i got into the right. gossip and yeah but i mean i, I think it, it uh deserves to be said if it has already been said uh that that episode is real hot and bothered everybody's just horny <laughs> and you know sweaty and uh, you mean, say that you know, Don, Don and Rachel get it on in that episode. So, yeah, true. But, you know, but to you, it doesn't that's count early on. You know, yeah. I mean, like, you know, Betty obviously wants something, something. Uh, Peggy gets uh, an unexpected surprise. You know, it's a fun episode. And uh, I imagine you guys <laughs> had a lot of fun talking about. It. Did you like that episode? If we can um, quickly. Yeah, I mean. I thought it started out a little slow, but I was getting along with it as it went along. Um, it was nice to see the Rog Dog, as I call him now, uh, Roger. Uh, yeah, it was, I was a little uh, bummed not to really see him in this episode that we're going to be discussing this week. But, you know, it was nice to catch up, see how he's doing. It seems like he's, uh, you know, out for the count for the season. But maybe he'll come back around uh, in the finale. I don't yeah, remember. After, after a game of Duck, Duck, Goose or Herman Phillips, is it, Duck, Goose. Is it he, isn't John Slatterley still just like filming Desperate Housewives or something, which is why he's not around? Pretty much. Well, and then they also had a, the original plan. I think we've mentioned on the show before is that he wasn't going to be part of the show after this. Like it, they were going to write him out essentially and have Duck kind of replace him and do all that stuff. But John Slattery made such a strong impression on Mad Men. I believe, like, my understanding is that they decided to keep him in, keep him around. He's Mr. Sterling. 
Which is funny because Mark Moses, the actor who plays Duck Phillips, is a primary character or a primary actor on Desperate Housewives as well. So I guess they have Aaron, you seen that show? Desperate Housewives? Yeah. My parents watched it. I've I've seen a fair bit of it. I haven't watched okay. uh, m- more than maybe like three or four full episodes, but I've seen several scenes out of context of that show. Have you mm. watched Desperate Housewives? Mm-mm, not once. Okay. That's surprising. It was a pretty popular show, you know. It was, but I mean, it's like 2007. I was watching it in Avatar The Last Airbender. I was having a childhood, you know. Yeah, I mean, I will say, I don't see a lot of people bringing it up that much anymore, which is not to criticize the show, but rather just talk about how it was this super popular show that sort of just lived in a vacuum. Uh, but it did give us, you know, Eva Longoria's career, who's, you know, she's doing a lot of things still, so... That's probably mm-hmm. the show's legacy at this point, well, as it were. Name not not to make this the the Desperate Housewives podcast, but name one thing Eva Longoria is doing right now. Oh, she just right directed now? a movie at Sundance. Um, she's uh, damn, you got me there. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's literally in Park City, Utah, right now, Mike, like digging holes, and you know. Okay, I just well, I just Eva Longoria is not in the zeitgeist of Mike's mind. Sure. Well, All we can right. save that conversation for Desperate Housewives, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Desperate House Mikes. Um, so Nixon versus Kennedy. Yeah. Uh, wh- Mike, what do you think about uh, the original question here in terms of like, is yeah. this an all timer? I, uh, I don't know if I'm just like, I mean, I'm wearing a beanie today and a flannel and feeling all history, but I watched it and I really enjoyed it, but it got me thinking on rewatch like, do we love this episode just because of like the reveals we get in it and like all this, does it, does it just feel good because a lot of things come to fruition or is it actually like a good episode in itself? Can it be? Um, a mix? Cause I think a lot of it is the payoffs. I think a lot of it is the payoffs, which I guess like, yeah, I don't know. Does that yeah. make it a good episode? I think it does. Who knows? It's like when you think of your favorite movies, like this is uh, Matthew Weiner called this the climax of season one. He's kind of following a formula that prestige TV does a lot, like Breaking Bad did this, Game of Thrones did this, like your ninth episode of a 10 episode season is like your big episode. Bojack Horseman did this famously. Yeah. Yeah. Because then that way, like if the ninth episode is the climax and the 10th episode can be about the resolution, it can set up threads for season two and it can just let you sort of exist with the show for you know have like a bit of a breather yeah it's and, like kind of a like an epilogue to season just kind of a um yeah, yeah a coda and i think like you know th- think of your favorite movies people tend to like the climaxes like the, the climax is the most exciting part it's what we've been building up to so it stands to reason that this would be that i think some people have criticized the episode of you know, maybe superficially of, of saying like, well, you know, the first half of it doesn't really connect with the second half of it. First half of it is mainly like with the Sterling Cooper office kind of reveling, having a good time. And then the second half of the episode focuses more on Don versus Pete, you know, and, you know, actually bringing that to a head. Uh, but let's start with that. Uh, Will, what do you think? Do you do you think there's any merit to that criticism? Um, I mean, I can see why people say that. Because like I, I kind of had to remind myself that that was the beginning of this episode because I watched because, as we mentioned, I didn't um, get a chance to see the uh, previous episode until this week. So I watched them pretty much back to back 
And so I had to kind of remind myself, I was like, did that happen in the last episode or is that also this episode? But obviously, you know, it is the beginning of this episode and I like that it kind of feels like, you know, the party's happening at the beginning and this is, you know, as the, in the office, the, the hope of Nixon winning is kind of alive and well, and everyone's kind of getting it on and all that stuff. And this is that cold, uh, you know, bucket of water slapping their face in the morning, you know, it's, uh, they are the losers, you know, they, they lost to Kennedy, their, their campaign failed as it was. And, you know, now they kind of have to reap what they sow in some respects. And, you know, in that respect, uh, you know, Don in a separate fashion is also getting his own kind of cold wake up call, his, uh, return to reality as it was his, uh, you know, kind of, uh, his awakening. And so I, I don't know. I, I think thematically it does actually make sense, but it is a little jarring when you think back on the episode for sure. Classic uh, Mad Men subversion, by the way, too, right? How we see mainly a lot of very young people hoping that Nixon, the traditionally stodgy, older conservative guy, uh, versus like Kennedy is seen as like, oh, he won because of the youth vote. I do like, though, how this kind of gets across something from history that, like I was alluding to before, tends to be a little glossed over, which is that this was a very close campaign, was very contested. It wasn't sort of this landslide where Kennedy was, because people remember the 60s as like the Cultural Revolution and, you know, youth and revolt. But in reality, a lot of people didn't know if they wanted to sort of like rekindle the dream of the 1950s, Eisenhower's presidency continued through Nixon, or if they wanted a sort of fresh face jingle, you know, obsessed uh, John F. Kennedy. It, it is a very uh, funny sort of uh, subversion that Mad Men's good at doing. Uh, what about you, Michael? I mean, how do you how do you pair these two halves of the episode? I, I, I do think it's a very jarring split, but I both think they're very interesting it, each within themselves. Um, speaking to like the subversion of, of the young opinion, I really like the moment. I'm trying to remember who says it. I don't think it was Paul, but they're talking about it was a win-win, right? Because either... Nixon wins and everybody's excited or Nixon loses and you, yeah, yeah, that's Paul. You need a shoulder. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Well, he's kind of uh, just, echoing to, or like foreshadowing to Burt Cooper's sort of attitude after it looks like Nixon's going to lose. And he's like, well, you know, we still win anyway. We're going to get something out of Kennedy winning. Yeah. Ken, yeah. Kennedy wants to you know, buy his way to the win. Right. So at the end of the day, right. Capitalism is the winner. If he's and, and willing to buy an election, he might play ball with us. But I, I do think it, it is a very stark first and second half of the episode. And I really think you kind of have to to analyze them both individually. And it feels like that scene with Trudy in the box is the bridge between between the two, you know? Um, no more secrets. Everything is oh, getting revealed. Yeah. No more secrets, absolutely. Right. I think that's the last secret in Edmund. <laughs> yeah. The uh, well, last one for Pete, right? Um, yeah, because... Well, I guess he, he never actually mm-hmm. tells Trudy what's in the box, so... Right. Technically, it's still a secret. Just to get to know more... What's more in the secrets. box? <laughs> My father had a box man. like that. I looked inside, oh. and I regretted it. Hmm. Oh, Trudy. Well, I didn't know uh, you guys made that joke last week. I wasn't around. <laughs> I, uh, I definitely... Uh, my thought was like Trudy thinks that it's like just porn in the box, right? Like that's the idea. We she agree? definitely thinks it's porn. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe. Well, what was? Who knows? Well, I mean, do you guys have any guesses as far as what was in Trudy's father's box? Porn. You think that was? You think that was also porn? <laughs> yeah, well, it might have been something a little bit. Porn. 
Well, that's what that's what I'm thinking is that it might have been something a little bit more devastating for her because she was just like it was like a big mistake, and there's a you know like an air of like it still haunts her when she thinks back on that moment. I mean, I think so, it would haunt you too if I mean if you were in her shoes, like the way you grow up, and then I guess you find out that your parent, you know, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, would that still bother her as an adult knowing I think that? It would, well, it would bother her that her husband would be kind of following in that same, like, I'm not good enough, you know, that that sentiment, hmm. you know, or that thinking that, like, uh, that traditional thinking that, like, oh, porn means that he doesn't get something from me. I don't know. I just, the way I read that line reading was that it was something a little bit more, uh, uh, confounding. Like, what, like or, that he's like the Zodiac killer? Like, what are you? No, to? I, I'm not saying it's something like huge, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it sounds like if it, if it's uh, if it's not addressed later on, then it's not as big of a deal. But I don't know. Just the way that Allison Brie delivered that line, I thought it was something a little just bit imagining, more. Like, I, have you watched the show You, Michael? I know Will hasn't, but like where he has like yeah, the box. Have, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, that's like what I'm imagining. Will thinks it. <laughs> I think it makes sense. Well, I, I get what Will's saying, right? It, there's an air of like of extra scandal in the way she delivers a line, and I think our modern brain sees that, and it's like, oh, porn's not a big deal; it's everywhere, so it has to be like a step above porn, right? Uh, but I do think back then, just porn in itself, right? This idea of masturbation—we covered this all last week. Like, yeah, okay. that's, oh yeah, well, you missed it. Um, uh, so, like, there's... what kind of porn do you think it was? Do you think it was just like? like Betty Page stuff or do you think it's like dirty? Well, I I will say I, I don't want to give anything away, but there is something we learn about Trudy's father a long time from now, way later into the show that I think will probably pay this off. So I guess we could put a pin on that. Um, oh. oh, okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Want, let's let's put the lid on this box and put it up. In <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's put it back mm. in the closet. Let's stay in the closet from now on, boys. Oh boy. Um, yeah, speaking of that, uh, Sal gets his own fun little moment with Joan. I I do not want to miss a chance to talk about Sal. Oh yes, um, you speaking missed of his, uh, yes, yeah. good. Well, you missed a little bit of like some some Sal misadventure last week. Yeah, sure. I mean, I was gonna say. I mean, speaking of subverting expectations, I, I like this one in particular because you know when you see a scene like this set up where it's like, oh, he found the secret play or whatever that. He wrote, you kind of expect like a fight to ensue, like he's going to chase him around the office. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they kind of play that up because just before there's that scene where he's chasing the, like Hildy, I think, around um, the office. Uh, Allison. Sorry, Allison. Yeah, you're right. Um, Around the office, like check her underwear. So you think it's going to be like a similar thing where he's going to like chase him down the office and like punch him. By the way, nice foreshadowing there that her underwear is blue and like they're all guessing like blue as in Kennedy wins. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but it's a good catch. Good catch, Jonathan. Weiner, uh, Weiner knows what he's doing. Oh, by sure. the way, we didn't say who directed this episode, and I'm so sorry to cut you off, but real quick, Alan Taylor returns to direct. He directed the pilot, famous director of Sopranos, Game of Thrones, Thor of the Dark World, some of the classics. Uh, this was written by Lisa Albert and co-written by Maria and Andre Jacques Metten, who did it, uh, I think, like two or three episodes ago. Mike is laughing weirdly. Uh, why, okay, why are you laughing, Michael? Yeah. Thor the Dark World, all the classics. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, don't forget uh, Terminator Genesis is also on his filmography. Um, well, I, I couldn't, I couldn't cover everything. I only had so many words to fit into that. Sure. Song. Yeah. But anyway, uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah, but you know, like a, a traditional show, you know, because we talk about this a lot. Like Mad Men is good about like kind of 
subverting expectations where you expect something more violent or more extreme to happen in a given scenario and something like that you expect like a brawl to ensue or something yeah, but Kenny no like freddie almost got into it last episode with the uh, the electricizer right. the rejuvenator or whatever yeah exactly so you you kind of expect like you know this uh uh ensuing fight or whatever but no a moment later you're just performing the play and obviously you know ken is kind of mocking it or whatever but you know he uh you know he he takes it you know, relatively. I think well. it's because partly they're drunk, and Paul has like a little bit of the pride, you know, bubbling yeah. inside him. Yeah. But yeah, I like to imagine if I were to have found a play in your residence uh, or your office that something similar would happen. You would make Mike and I play the parts. Uh, yeah. We would share a smooch. <laughs> oh, I would. I would act the shit out of a John one act. You know what I mean? Like I would give everything I had for that role. Was this I'm only not a like that hack Maverick Hines <laughs> <laughs> animal <in> the, <laughs> an animal in the podcast the, studio and the, yeah go ahead the, the play's about like Don inspires that main character right like that's Don well Paul wants to be Don you know you know yeah, Paul showed his insecurity in that last episode right he was like do you think Don likes me you know and there is that sort of I think Paul especially probably doesn't realize that he's maybe a little bit more to Roger a little bit. And I think they try to get that across with the way that he interacts with Joan and that whole scene they kind of have together. And also, I mean, that play is kind of foreshadowing a little bit what happens later on, right? Like it's kind of uh, mirroring a little bit the dynamic that uh, Pete has where, you know, like the play, like we're mentioning, is kind of like what if Paul became like a Dawn type and, you know, uh, Pete's kind of trying to find himself in in a similar position where it's like, what if I became... Uh, a person like Don, like how would that happen? Well, it, he has to resort to, you know, blatant blackmail, but he's like, well, it's in my grasp. And that's kind of fitting mm-hmm. too, because, you know, both Don, not to jump ahead, but like Don and uh, Pete have these sort of like thematic or cinematic way of thinking things are going to play out in this episode. Like they have sort of dramatic tendencies where they think things are going to be a lot more sort of theatrical as you know these revelations get revealed and things play or don't play in their favor and obviously you can connect to the election yeah right yeah exactly and then obviously reality plays uh, a lot more casually than uh it actually you know things actually play out so it is like you know fitting and that's where i think the kennedy nixon stuff actually favors well especially because that stuff weirdly kind of just fades into the background like the revelation that kennedy officially won is mostly in that one shot, like it's behind uh, Pete on the TV, right? That's like where we officially find out that Kennedy won. I mean, it's obviously foreshadowed when Bert talks to Don, but like that's like the revelation. It's just like something that just happens literally behind Pete in the background, right? Even though, yeah, which I think is is quite good. This has been paying. This pays off all of the connections and conversations that like Don and Pete have whenever the Nixon campaign gets brought up that don sees himself as nixon pete is kind of the elvis like kennedy and you know the the anxiety that don has about pete is very you know purposely connected to the way a lot of people felt alienated and scared of somebody like pete kind of rising to this position early you know especially like when you look at history i mean john f kennedy at that point was the youngest person to ever be uh, elected president. It might still be. I don't remember if uh, anybody beat him on that. I think Barack Obama was older than Kennedy was at that point too. So I think I, I, I could be fat checked and, and rightfully corrected there, but 
Yeah, um, I mean, that was I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like, wasn't like Obama a couple years older than Kennedy when he won? I like, won 30. I'm actually right. I'm surprised. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, like, uh, I think like they were both in their 40s, right? Because I think like the presidential eligibility age is like 35. I don't think we've ever had a president in their 30s. Um, we've all been in their 40s, but yeah at the very youngest, but then most of them are sixties, you know, that's, mm. that's like the sweet spot. And now we get presidents in the seventies. We just keep, you know, moving forward, I guess. Um, sure. well, so, I mean, you, know, you so, never yeah. know, you know, what if like AOC becomes the president at age 38 or something? I don't think she's ever going to run. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Fortune teller. Well, she literally said it in GQ. Like, oh, recently. She, she's I like, I will never that. run for president. Uh, okay. Um, and she said it before, but anyway, I, I, you know what? I was going to bring this up in terms of like, how do you guys think this, this show makes you feel about like modern politics? I know like the listeners would love to hear that. They'd love to hear some um, polarization and divisive. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. The reviews of uh, the show will only get more favorable when we bring up politics more. Yeah. yeah. Well, we don't have to get on a soapbox or anything, but you know, I, I think that there is merit to the discussion around how like this show, this episode probably hits a lot different after the 2020 election, because this was like 1960 was one of the most contested elections of all time. It was the first time computers were used. Um, it was the first time I think it was contested in all 50 states. There was certainly like a lot of accusations of fraud. Obviously, it's not a one to one with 2020 and how things went down, but certainly it they, they kind of are like mirror images of each other, maybe two signs of the same electoral coin. Um, or you, I guess like if you were watching this in 2007, you know, or I think it came out in 2007, not 2008, you would probably look at this and be like, you know, this kind of, for me, connects more to the 2000 election with Bush and Gore, which went on and on and on. Because I think, um, I think I'm right about this, that that was at that point in 1960, the latest, like the longest amount of time it took for people to find out who the president was until the Bush Gore election, which took even longer. So yeah, I think that, um, there is like something to be said about how you can watch this in 2022 and kind of have even more sort of like a modern context and, and what the show is doing. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting going through, uh, you know, Bert saying that they, they gave Kennedy all the corpses in a certain County and, um, but saying like, Oh, he got over 50% of the vote. So we'll have that to lean on. And it was just like, you know, it was the, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio meme. I was pointing, being like, "Oh, that's it." I've yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nothing new under the sun. I mean, you can you can watch this, and maybe like maybe someday people will watch this in the future and be like, "Oh, is this kind of like when did this come out?" You know, maybe erroneously thinking, you know, that uh, this was after like the 2016 election, where that was like a very like common accusation of like, "Oh, dead people voted" and all that stuff. So, uh, but no, it existed long, long, long before all that. Um, but yeah, Nixon Kennedy. What else did you guys want to cover in this episode? I don't know if is there anything you wanted to cover in turn like in the party and stuff before we get to the Don flashback stuff, because there's a lot of material there. In the party, I do want to point out like Pe- Peggy's aversion to the party and, and Peggy's feeling of I like I can't be around like I guess that's after she says I can't be around these people, but it's just so clear that she feels differently and is is wired so much differently than everybody else in this office and can't believe that this is happening and the juxtaposition of her being disgusted about the what color is your panties games with the woman who was tackled literally like going arm in arm laughing away like when it was over is such like a, okay Peggy is Peggy's different 
and to think I could have found my president, or yeah, and to think <laughs> I, I thought I could find my husband in this office. Yeah, I yeah. Marge that line. gets a yeah. Marge gets a little extra little time in this episode, which is kind of I forgot that Stephanie Courtney gets to show up and do some more lines here. Um, I, I do is think she just contradicts. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, is she in season two? Is this the last season first? I think this is it for her. I don't this, think we this see episode. Her again. I think so. Okay. But I'm not 100 sure. I mean, it would make we sense did. given that the yeah, um, you know, the commercials would start around then. Yeah. They didn't start already, but which, by the way, no, uh, no Lois at the party. Is she okay? Uh, do you think the bowling team went late? Like, what happened? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, the last time she tried to meet Sal at a party, it didn't go too well. So <laughs> right. she's just a little maybe she's, to going yeah. to parties with Sal. But uh, actually, that's what I was going to ask before. It's like, do you think that this contradicts like Peggy's character, like? the way she behaves in that party versus how she behaves in this party? Or do you think that there is like an intentional difference here and how she's sort of being a bit more of a stick in the mud? Whereas in the last party, she was doing the twist. She was having a good time. I think that there has been time and a lot has happened personally in Peggy's life. Um, professionally, especially that makes her feel that she's a, a, above a lot of the, um, to use the current sitting president's favorite word, malarkey. Um, and I also think for some reason, maybe Peggy seems to be a little bit more emotionally charged and I wonder why that is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess we shouldn't say, huh? All right. I mean, I know, <laughs> but the listeners may not. So <laughs> we have, um, Sal's very awkward kiss with Joan during the play. And I, oh, I, don't yeah. always, I, I obviously like, I didn't notice this the first time I ever watched the show, but clearly, like, like Joan's expression, I tend to sort of miss how that kind of goes down and how she's just a little bit like, wait a second. <laughs> like, I was going to ask you. Guys. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I mean, like, I was kind of wondering what your guys' read of that was. Like, it was, uh, you know, like, the way she looks at him, is it supposed to be like that's her kind of figuring out, like, huh, he kisses in a sort of like effeminate way? Or like, I don't it, think effeminate. No, I think like, like uh, he's not actually like into it. Oh, it's okay. Like yeah. Staged. Yeah. yeah. You know? Right. Cause like, you know, any other guy in the office would take the opportunity to like really, you know, sell a moment like that. He just kind of is very kind of cavalier almost in a way about it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's, it was very interesting. I was definitely paying a lot of uh, attention to her expression in that moment. And, and you uh, can tell too, I mean, she's somebody who just recently, you know, experienced her roommate coming out of the closet. So this isn't exactly something that is a very foreign thought to her, this idea of somebody sort of, you know, going against gender norms for that time. Jones Gadar is through the roof right now. <laughs> I mean... Carol, Carol forged her Gadar in the fires yeah, of Manhattan. I mean... It should also be said that uh, Sal borrowed uh, Peggy's dress or skirt or something at one moment, though I guess, unfortunately, we didn't get to see that during the party. So, Hey, I mean, Some Like It Hot came out not too long before this, so then probably thought that, that was like a come on. Um, okay. So any, uh, the other thing with, that happens in this party that's pretty big is we kind of have the Harry and Hildy thing happen which was set up several episodes ago when Harry, you see Harry and Hildy dancing in the Hobo Code um, to, I think it was the twist again. And, you know, we, we get a little bit of like, mm, you know, Harry's a little bit like, he, he kind of has like a comment early in the episode, of like, that's my wife, you know, like clearly there's some issues. Uh, remember, like early toward the beginning of the season, he stopped smoking or was trying to quit. And we see him smoke in this episode. Uh, so clearly something's like stressing him out. And that comes to a fruition when it's announced that Ohio goes to uh, Nixon 
and that's a lot of electoral votes. And then Harry and Harry start making out. They go to his office. One thing leads to another. What's what's your take on this? Do you think that um, I, my my thing? I have the whole thing with this, but I kind of want to say we start with you, Will. Like, why do you think that this matters? <laughs> this this little like subplot that happens. Like, what do you think it's trying to do? Um, I mean. I think it kind of establishes what we were talking about before, where it's like the romanticism of them kind of believing their own lie in the sense of like, they really believe that Nixon's going to win, like their campaign pulled off, they kind of beat the odds. And, you know, even though Kennedy has the the jingle and everything seems to kind of work in his favor, they're, you know, they're going to win it out and they kind of, uh, you know, they're swept up in the moment and then there's that moment like you said where his glasses come off and i don't know not to be a a nerd or anything but i don't know if there was kind of like a superman thing going on there where it's like you know like the glasses are off and it's like he's actually you know this kind of suave guy in the moment and you know it, it, it you know this uh, kind of unexpected romance blooms but then you know the daylight yeah, so i think comes. it was like a love is blind kind of thing i don't know if it, sure it you know I, that's why i think it is too but you know sometimes there is the whole thing where he says like oh don could be batman for all we know does that make him superman in his eyes sure i mean i'd like to believe that's what he believes uh you know because he's a, a dang nerd like me um <laughs> but you know uh but anyway the you know the daylight comes obviously things take a turn for the nixon campaign that's kind of the end of his uh hurrah before you know obviously the the votes are still getting counted and stuff but it's looking more and more likely after that moment that Kennedy's going to win. The tides are changing. It's now the early 60s. And, you know, this is kind of the progression point where things are going to change. And it's, them it's already the getting, early 60s. It's I know. Like I know. But like politically, things are changing is what I meant okay. to say. But, uh, you know, like it, it. But the office is what I'm trying to say is that like they they have this sort of stodgy. 50s mentality you know that's a largely conservative office maybe not always politically but uh mentally they have this kind of old-fashioned suck in their ways mentality yeah. and this is kind of like this awakening moment where they kind of you know they were kind of drunk on and you know in love with the idea that things are going to turn out their way but they're getting this kind of hard you know uh walk of shame moment this early mm-hmm. morning where they realize that you know they didn't pull it off it's going to be you know going to be different the they expect kool-aid yeah. yeah exactly and so that's why I, I appreciate that scene i mean i don't know if it's gonna lead to anything between the two characters later on i can't remember if they uh have anything happen in the last episode of the season but i kind of like it for that moment it, it is a good kind of encapsulated metaphor for what's happening in the office at that time which by the way we can't let it slide that Allison, you know, who works at the front desk, you know, sleeps with Ken Cosgrove, you know. He uh, he wins a lot this season, you know. He he got that shot in with Freddie, he got, you know, a short story published. He, he got to see Paul his own game. Yeah, he got to see that lady's underwear, you know, it's all it's, it's Which, all looking uh, up for him. Horrific, like that whole thing like he saw a yeah. lot more of than her underwear. Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> The, the sexual harassment in this episode, good lord. Yeah, um, I gotta say, I mean, I know like Ken's kind of your guy, but I feel like this season he's just not. He regresses. Not a good well, dude. he reg- he regressed in this moment, and you know, I don't I, know. I mean, I just want I feel him to like, change. I'm like I feel Allison. Like he's, I, just, I feel like he's generally a, a dick. <laughs> I in can the fix first season. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. I yeah. No, I was just gonna say. I remember when I first watched this, I thought they were trying to set up a foil to uh, to Peggy and Pete. 
like, I was like, oh, this is going to be like, like a, maybe like a sweet office romance compared to the very, very toxic Pete and Peggy. Um, and that was my very first read of it. Uh, I also remember very started thinking like, wow, that's a lot of side boob to be on TV. Like, <laughs> jeez. <laughs> Oh, the times they are changing. You hound dog. <laughs> I had yeah, the same thought. Roger's not the only hound dog. <laughs> um, I was supposed to be like, Will, you just talked about how much you love the masturbation episode. I think I think I can say side boob. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say um I think with like uh with with I agree with a lot of what you said there, uh, Will and, and Mike, you know, in terms of what they're kind of doing with these characters and like the the symbolism of it and kind of getting across that like I think Harry is a bit of a Nixon sense that like, you know, he was able to woo sort of like the younger voter sort of person, but like in the afterglow of this entire election night and arguably in real life, you know, there's like this disenfranchisement with him. You know, I, I took a little bit of like, you know, Don's not the only person who can kind of emulate Nixon. There's a lot of that we can see in Harry Crane. And I think that's something to, to pay attention to moving forward. It looks like you guys are bonding over your Gatorade bottles. <laughs> okay, I should go grab one. Apparently Gatorade uh, at 11 a.m. I love it. Um, So my other thing, though, is like I kind of have this sneaking suspicion. I don't know what you guys think of this, that. I think that like you guys are grinning like a couple of best friends. My gosh, I feel like I'm the teacher of class trying to give a lecture, but you guys are like clowning around at the back. Um, no, I think that uh, they were trying to set up maybe some like season two stuff here. And I think like with Joan, especially like Joan and Paul, they were trying to set stuff up like, oh, you know, what are some of the B plots or C plots we can do next season, you know, post like to what you're saying, Mike, like post Pete and Peggy, like, what can we do of like, can we have like a Harry Crane and Hildy thing kind of going on? Can we do this, this, this? And uh, I won't say, of course, you know, what happens, but certainly like, I get that sense. Like shows do this a lot where they're like, okay, we have these actors. Let's kind of test it out. Like, let's do a chemistry test on screen and see how people react. And I think people probably watch this and we're like, ew, gross. <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's know- just- do you know, like, at what point, like, did they know there was going to be a season two? Did it get renewed halfway through season one? I think so, at this point. Um, I think that they renewed it. <clears throat> I'll look it up, but I think they renewed it, like, only partway through season one. Um, because I think it matter. I think that is a really good point, and I'd be curious on, like, yeah, how much was planned for season two, and at what point Weiner knew what he was going to do compared to, like, putting out the feelers. Because it definitely feels like that, right? You have multiple romances in this episode, and I think even in the next episode, that you're just like, is this going to go anywhere? And a lot of it doesn't. Well, I was wondering about this. The writer strike happens at some point, I think between seasons one and two, right? For the show. Am I not? I, what was that again? I said the writer strike doesn't happen somewhere around the end. I think it was like after one. this, because I think it was more of like 2006, like early 2007. And okay. I think that this, by by the time that was going down, this season was already in the tank. I think this okay. is just one of those rare shows because of when it came out that it, it sort of managed to be in the middle of it, but not quite like when it would have been mostly okay. affected. That's my, I just, I, that's what I think. I just didn't know if like what you're talking about was a byproduct of the writer's strike where things might've been place or things they had in mind kind of got subverted or dodged because of the writer's strike because obviously i know that was more of a factor for breaking bad when season one premiered that show like the season got shortened and there was like a big 
change in character, like Jesse was going to die in season one and the writer's strike prevented that from happening. So I just didn't know if there were any kind of uh, major story effects that happened with Mad Men. But I guess like what you're saying, yeah, it, it didn't really affect the show all that much in the long run. I can't seem to find uh, any like concrete info on when the season was renewed. I feel like I've heard it in like an interview somewhere, but I'd have to do more digging. I mean, it was a huge hit for AMC when it premiered. Like, I mean, not only critically, but I thought like it became like it, it exceeded their expectations and then some. So I imagine well, it, the won show an, got it won an Emmy um, for oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It won outstanding drama series. It won a Golden Globe. It won a Peabody. Like, I, I don't know how good the ratings were. Um, I think the ratings were probably quite good um, for what it was. But I think it was more about like the acclaim is what shot it. Um, actually, I have it right here because I was just looking. Um, the premiere episode, July 2007. Hey, it was it was rated higher than any other AMC original series at the time. So yeah, 1.2 million households, which back then wasn't a ton. But these days, that's pretty decent um, considering. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, and for AMC, that was pretty big, but they were obviously banking a lot on this being uh, a big hit because like the reason I thought that the show didn't get picked up by like HBO and like ABC and a few other stations was like everyone was like, yeah, this is clearly a really good script for the pilot, but like it's way too expensive and too much of a gamble for, you know, a first season. Like we just don't know for sure the audiences are going to respond to this. And all that stuff. And AMC was just the one station was like, yeah, you know, we kind of want to prove that we're not just a movie station. We want to like do some TV stuff like we'll take a gamble on this. Like this seems like a good show. You can tell from the original poster of season one, like when the show started airing, how do you market this? And the way they mainly marketed it was, oh, from one of the writers and executive producers of The Sopranos. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like they clearly knew that this would be hard to like get people interested in, you know, well, which speaks to like, mm-hmm. I thought the Mad Men was like a gangster show or something when it was coming out. I didn't know it was uh, about advertising because I mean, yeah, it was bad. Was advertising. Say, not, <laughs> yeah. They had bad advertising. That's so funny. Yeah. And no, I was about to say the irony of the show struggling with advertising a show about advertising is uh, quite rich. I, I'll never forget like in between seasons, Five and six, I want to say, they did an ad for season six and it just used B-roll footage from season five. And it was so bad. I was like, this is not getting me excited for season six. What are you doing? But I will say that the the posters that they did for the seasons, like the they would release them on social media because this show was coming out like when social media was really starting to like take off, especially on Twitter. And I'll never forget the season six poster in particular is like a masterclass in like getting you like pumped up through just one image. So Anyway, back to Nixon versus Kennedy. Sorry for all the tangents. Um, anything? I think we covered a lot of the party. Probably a few things we missed, but I feel like we got to get to Don's flashbacks here, um, particularly like what prompts it. Um, so looks like you guys are good. Don has this moment, of course, where Pete comes into the office the next day. No one seems to know like who won, but Pete kind of comes into his office and he hangs the blackmail over his head that, you know, if he doesn't, if Don doesn't promote him to head of accounts, which Pete has already sort of been like asking him to do since the beginning of the episode, then Pete is going to reveal the information that Don is not who he says he is and all of that. And you do get the sense like it's been a while since the last episode, since Indian summer, because that was in October and now we're in the first week of November. Pete's been sitting on this and yeah. I think he's been scared to do it. Like he's been scared to kind of go this far and you can kind I- of see why, right? I, can, I was going to say, because doesn't Pete casually in this episode or last episode say it's been two years since like he joined the office or whatever? Or maybe that was Peggy. Someone mentioned it's been years. 
two and a half years, which I honestly thought it was like six months. Like I didn't realize that much time had passed in the season. I think he starts the show 26. I think at this point he's probably turned 27, but I don't think it's ever confirmed either way. I don't think we know his birthday. So he might've just turned 26 at the beginning of the show, but yeah, I mean, he's in his happy birthday. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Um, yeah. So like uh, to me, the idea of him considering himself ready for a head of accounts is actually kind of like ridiculous. Like they're a pretty small agency, but like, I can't think of a lot of firms that would have somebody at, at, from age 26 be head of accounts unless well, you are, yeah. it's nepotism, right? Hang on. Are you saying that Pete Campbell is acting ridiculous in the office? I can't, <laughs> I can't believe this. I can't. Wait, I are can't you trying to tell me that he, that Pete Campbell has so much pride, he's not using logic and reason? What, 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 a, what a bombshell that we're. Because <laughs> like that does kind of give him a chance, right? He's like, like, basically says like, why? And, what does Pete come up with? You know, well, I've been here two and a half years. I have the loyalty of our most respected clients. But like, like at this point, dude. yeah, exactly. It's like, he's like, what clients have you brought in? Like Bert even says at one, at that later point in the episode, like I would focus on bringing in clients. Like at no point has Pete done that, which is like the point of head of accounts. It's not just keeping clients, it's bringing in new business. And yeah, I mean, I think there is like, you could probably look at it as like Don just doesn't like Pete. But I think Don is self-interested enough to be like, I mean, if Pete really was you know, deserving of this job at this point, he probably would consider it. But why would I mean he's giving Peggy a shot, like sure, which is not something that someone of his dasher would do. So like Don does promote talent, right? Or he mm-hmm. at least acknowledges it. I mean, there is something to be said. I mean, not to jump ahead again, but like the the story with the real Don and Dick Whitman is kind of meant to be mirroring some things that are happening where like he kind of wants to father or like mentor a younger figure in a way. Like I think yeah, there's I mean, part have you of seen him. his real kids? They're so dull. Sure. Like I'm just kidding. But I mean, <laughs> well, I mean like I think obsessed with lightning bugs. It's pretty embarrassing. I think there is a part of Don, and I don't think he'll acknowledge it, but I think there's a part of him that kind of in a way wants a sort of mentor. And that's obviously like we said, like I think that's coming through with Peggy and there is like a couple moments where I think he wants to do the same for Pete because he can see his drive, even though he is a nepotism baby, as it were like he, he does see like, yeah, he like wants to prove himself. He kind of wants to, to be his own man and stuff like that. And he can almost respect that, but then he just does something or says something or he snivels and it's like, nah, fuck this dude. He sucks. No, I'm not well, look at the, this. look at the mentors in Don's life. First one we really see is like the hobo. You know, and then uh, we obviously his father isn't a mentor to him. Uncle Mac isn't a mentor. He goes from the hobo straight to the real Don Draper for like a day. Yes. Um, And then he goes from that to Roger. And then kind of over this season, he goes from Roger to Bert, you know, and Mm -hmm. Bert kind of, you know, he has that speech with him. It's like, we are alike, you know, a little bit like you're self-interested and totally, you know. I think that he obviously. Atlas Shrugged. Beware the nonconformist. And by the way, I, I love Burt Cooper so much in the season. I, I wish the rest of the show was as good with Burt as it is this season. Um, not that it's bad, but I think that this is his best season, probably. Maybe I'll have to revisit that when we're done. But I mean, he has so many good lines. I love the payoff to everything his character has been alluded to at this point because it makes you know his moment in this episode so much more significant. Yeah. But um, who yeah, is John I think- Galt, Don? <laughs> Exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I think that, yeah, Don probably 
he probably feels a little bit like because we find out through the flashbacks, right, that the real Don Draper was killed because of Don, like because of Dick, like Dick, you know, messed up. And, you know, but the cigarette, his smoking habit literally got somebody killed. He literally digged the real Don Draper's own grave. Uh, yeah. I guess I, I guess you could read that he as was, like he's digging Dick's grave. Mm-hmm. He's literally pissing around and, you know, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, the real Don gets pissed off. Um, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Also love how like that flashback scene is that both of the flashback scenes like do not glamorize war whatsoever. You know, like they really get to the heart of like how horrifying it is and how like not glamorous it was kind of speaking to the election too, in that sense of like, it's not how like the, you know, history tends to recount it. It it actually is pretty tough, tough to like sit through how the sausage. I thought it was a good speech when he meets the the real Donald first time. And he's like, well, how, how they get you in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you can see a, like how the military capitalizes on these yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Capitalizes on these uh, in multiple ways. Praise on yeah, you could you could argue you know not to be mm-hmm. I don't want to be anti-veteran uh, whatsoever I'm not but uh, certainly like there is an air of that uh, especially in the Korean War Korean War was a huge mess Vietnam War and all of that and uh, particularly with Don I think or with Dick Whitman to an extent I mean he has that moment where he's like I just I just need to leave you know and he's just like are you starting to reconsider this being a step up <laughs> you know. And it's like, it's such a good line the, the dialogue in this episode is off the charts. I will say I did appreciate cause I watched this, uh, on Amazon and I liked that when I went back to the flashback sequences, I paused it and you know, normally where it says like, you know, John Hamm is Don Draper, you know, maybe even the, Donald Draper. Yeah. They, they changed it when it's the flashback. So it says John Hamm, Richard Whitman. And I was like, that's a nice touch. Yeah. I thought that was nice. Yeah. I do think it's also a nice touch that cigarettes made, Don Draper twice, right? It made him turn him into Don Draper originally, and then it's right in the first episode. It really what what's is your first taste to see what makes Don yeah. Draper. Well, so. yeah, because he literally goes from somebody whose name is Dick Whitman. A wit wit means small, right? It's lit, his name literally meant man with small dick, <laughs> and then he becomes Don Draper. Like Don, of course, being like like it's a bit of the Count of Monte Cristo, like they're like Mask of Zorro, like the the reinvention of somebody in disguise. It's like noble person, you know, Draper, you know, clearly alluding to like you know close the drapes, honey, and all of that. Like a much more sexually charged name is what I'm trying to argue. That that's where Don Draper is born, and that, that's I mean, where the dick, you know, yeah, and not only that, but like. I noticed that when uh, John Hamm was playing Dick Whitman, they raised his, or he either raised his voice or they raised him post. So it's a lot higher. Like in a way, it's almost like he hasn't hit like puberty yet. Well, no, I was saying like it's like puberty. Like he hasn't become a man in a way. Like he's still a boy. His voice is cracking. And- right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, he's like pre He became a man on that train. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Well, that train scene, I do want to talk about that when we can, but. I think that's a pretty, you Let's know, go for another, it. well, sure. Well, I mean, before we get there, can I, be, I do just want to say before we get there, sorry, I think they made that corpse of real Don Draper look so good. Yeah, it does. Yeah. But, it's gnarly. Yeah. I mean, it's Completely. like a precursor to walking dead in some ways, you know, this is like a few years before that show took off. Mm-hmm. Just think it's, I mean, I think it's really high quality for a TV corpse of, you know, at that time you could have, you could have not had the corpse in the shot at all, but. Anyways, just or they would just necrophiliac like, has waited. Yeah, or they would just put like smut on his face, like this on something cheap. But no, he's like, <laughs> yeah, he's he's a rotisserie chicken in that scene. He's all cooked up. 
yeah. it was brought up earlier in the season that Adam recalls how he's like, I knew I saw you on that train. This is the payoff to that where we see like Adam really did see Don on the train. Uh, Don, of course, uh, was expected to bring Dick Whitman, the real Don Draper home as per custom, but he's not able to do it. But we see, you know, Abigail, we see Uncle Mac and we see Adam. Um, Adam kind of runs after him and all that. What, what did you want to remark upon with this scene? Well, well, I mean, I just think it's another example of like kind of the metaphor of the scene really kind of complementing the episode where we have, you know, like we said, Don slash Dick in this moment, you know, looking out on his family or like sort of his family, because that's obviously not his dad or his real dad. Um, and then you have like his mom who's distant and Adam and, you know, in this moment, it's like the turning point. Obviously, it's like he is kind of becoming this other person, almost like uh against his will in a weird way. Like this train is moving forward. Like life is just kind of pushing him forward. He's always going to be running. It's just innately his nature. And he's still looking back at this moment. Like he can't help, but look at it, but he can't really confront what happened. And you have like, you know, Adam, this one person in his life, you know, still kind of looking in trying, you know, chasing him forward. But it's, you know, he's kind of doing this impossible act where he's like, trying to chase at life and connect with his brother, which is never obviously going to happen now that he's killed himself. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's, you know, a pretty stark visual metaphor. And, you know, like obviously he's like chasing the woman kind of chasing the allure of being this, uh, you know, self-made man in many respects, like kind of, uh, you know, having his like cherry popped in a weird way. Like I, I think he might've had sex before, but like the idea that like now he's becoming, you know, Dawn and full, like he's going to you know, get with this lady and all this stuff. And yeah, I just think it's a, it's a good scene. We'll remind the listeners that Will hasn't seen past this season. So yeah, I won't say anything about, um, you know, confirm either way. Oh, we get to see status. Oh, well, I don't oh. know. Well, I mean, I'm not going to tell you, but you know, oh. yeah. I don't, oh. yeah, that's a weird oh. growl. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, we got to go back, of course, to, you know, after Don gets this news that, you know, Pete knows who he is, he kind of freaks out. He panics and you start to see him for the first time in the show, I think, like really rattled. Um, it's, it's a very rare thing for him. He runs to Rachel and tries to run away with her to California. And just keep that in mind that that is like a, a running theme with Don. Uh, keep in mind, Don's fascination with California is very interesting. Um, and it's something that this season, this season touches upon. But of course, I don't think, you know, it's going to be a while before we get, I think, more information, more insight into why that is. And he just wants to run away. And Rachel kind of correctly, like as she sort of like, looks past you know because she's so good at reading him she's able to be like you don't want to run away with me you just want to run away and she's like you haven't thought this through like what about your kids <laughs> you know and i think that this is such a great moment for her and it's such a great way for maggie sift to kind of like punctuate this affair where she's just like what kind of man are you like she finally sees for the first time like somebody who's willing to do what he has done not just in that moment but up until this point it's where it for her the sort of like reality of who nixon i, I mean <clears throat> Don Draper is where she's able to sort of be like, you know what? I'm voting for Pete Campbell. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but no, I think that uh, I, it's a great moment for her. And it, it obviously connects, of course, to the sort of like America's disillusionment with Richard Nixon in the ensuing years. And we, I mean, obviously we've seen shades of um, Dick in the present day, as it were. Yeah, um, we you know, did. Oh, you're fl- talking about something else. Sure. But I mean, like this, this scene with, uh, with her, you know, we, we have like the first real moment where we get to see like Don and Dick 
intersecting and you know like his voice is a little bit higher it made me wonder if there was like elizabeth um who's the um theranos lady elizabeth uh, holmes yeah elizabeth holmes like kind of a thing where like dawn she have this moment <laughs> when, well i don't know i mean uh, uh, but like you know like like when he's talking to her like his voice is like a little bit higher like in that scene before like where you know he, it it, it makes me think there is yeah he's a little right. bit higher in that you're right right and it just made me think that like when he is dawn is he like also like kind of doing that voice too like is it like you know him kind of being that person uh at all times and so yeah like when we have this like rare unguarded moment with Don slash Dick. And he's like, kind of like running to his mom in a weird way. Like mom, mom, like this kid's making fun of me at school. And you know, it's him being like a boy in front of, uh, um, you know, his mom in a weird way, which is, you know, weird because obviously she's younger than him, but, <laughs> but yeah, there's like the, this yeah. weird kind of moment where like, he's like trying to run away. He's like always willing to, you know, like kind of avoid his problems and not really confront them if he can. And that kind of made me wonder when we get that scene with him and Bert, if it's less like he just gains confidence and more just kind of just being like, you know what? It's Peggy. I'm all, yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, if whatever happens, happens. Like if they find out I'm a fraud, you know what? I'll just go to California. It's I like, think it's two like, things. It's it's the conversation he has with Bert, who's just sort of like fair. Right. Very good. And then it's when Peggy talks to him about fairness. And that's, that is what pushes him to sort of, sure. you know, realize that, you know what? Like, I think I think in that moment he decides that he he has to like take care of this himself and be a man. But to what you're saying, well, there, I, I remember reading a piece from Emily St. James. Uh, I didn't reread it from for this episode, but I'd, I'd have to look back at it. But I remember one thing she said about this episode uh, for the AV Club back when I think season five was airing. She her argument was like, you know, a lot of people a lot of people say that like he's oscillating sort of between Don and Dick at all times. Like he turns off a switch, turns on a switch. I know we've done that. And her argument is like, it's, it's probably less productive to think that, to think it in that frame and to look at it more as like, he's both. And like, he's not either one at any given time. He's kind of both people at all times and kind of something else, which I always thought was like something kind of interesting as a read on, him in this scene because there is a little bit of Don in there too. Like you can't just, you know, Don isn't totally shut out. There is a lot of insecurity that Don has. There's a lot of like the, just kind of like the evil sort of sociopathic tendencies that Don has. Like, you know, earlier when he's with Betty, he's like clearly so unhappy with his marriage and he like doesn't even make eye contact with her, you know? And he like brushes his kid off. Like Sally doesn't matter. I mean, I get it. Sally is like obsessed with watching people do math on TV. I'd be upset too, but uh, she's her kid, man. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Asking her, <laughs> asking her dad questions like, what's the electoral college? Like, I don't know. Who has time? Who for knows that? what that is? That's not appropriate for children, which I still don't get. Like, why is <laughs> yeah. it bad to teach kids about the fucking electoral it's, college? It's not, well, that's I, the thing. It's not appropriate yeah. for him to have to try to explain it. To right. I, my read of it, as I was telling John before we recorded, is that like, he doesn't know either. And he's just like, I don't know. Yeah. I like that yeah. read too. <laughs> It's that's something, good, good it's just, take. you know, it's just the reason why we have these things. It's, yeah. What do you think about all this? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a lot. I, I do, does Don know that his brother's dead based on the, the box of pictures? You no. don't know. That's right. I couldn't remember if we get more info on that later. But um, I, 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 <laughs> I wanted Don to punch Pete. Like so bad, 
Like I wanted Don to beat up Pete uh, in like their little in the office and the stare down, which would be very unproductive. It's just Pete got to me so much in this episode. Like his like the it is a good line where he's like, "Do you it's think this is a movie a where I have a, a oh, gun yeah. to you and I won't shoot? I'll shoot. I will shoot." Oh, it's such a good delivery. Vincent yeah. Kartizer just nails it in this episode. But yeah, I mean, that, that's like a, for the guy that literally brought a gun to the office. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah that's a good point. Good call. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think, like I said before, like they're both kind of living in this kind of perceived reality. Like they both think they're the main characters of their own movies. They both exactly. think they're the hero and the villains of their own story. And Bert's the only character here who lives in reality. Yeah, maybe director, Peggy as it were. Sure. Um, so, which gets to a, you know, obviously the crux of the episode, that scene where in his office, and you know, the I won't perfect. spoil it because yeah, but pitch yeah, perfect scene, and I think that it capitalizes everything that's great about Burt Cooper as a character because all up until this point, we and what his behavior and his attitude toward what Pete tells him all makes perfect sense within what the show has set up. You know, down to there's even the whole so so the reaction, of course, like when Pete is just like Don is and who he says he is. He's a deserter at the very least. He's like perfect. One of the most memorable lines in the whole show, Mr. Campbell, who cares? What? Who cares? Like, it's just sort of like, seriously, who cares? It's almost, it's like Matthew Weiner kind of saying to AMC, why are you making me even put all this like forced drama into my show? You know, that's how I always took it because I know that there were disagreements between AMC being like, you got to add in the central mystery. You have to add in this tension between him and Pete. There has to be all this stuff. I think this was Matthew Weiner's way of undercutting it and being like, that's not what this really, the show is about. And like having Burt Cooper throughout the season, be the Anne Rand reader who's talking about like what he cares about. Don has nothing to do with his name. It has everything to do with his personality, seeing through the charade that Don puts out. And kind of getting to the heart of who he is, Matthew Weiner's way of getting to the heart of who these characters well, are. And mm-hmm. real quick, I think like even the stuff like the the way that he's so sentimental about um, you know Japanese culture and bonsai trees, it echoes a lot of like the way that Americans were very rationalized in terms of bringing the Japanese like into a sort of like yeah yeah World War II is twenty years ago, but who cares? Like you are who you are in this room. You are of value to us because you fuel the gears of like the American dream that we're putting out there. And so there is that sort of like reinvention, you know, spirit that I think Burt Cooper evokes in a way that's believable. It's not sentimental. It's not about a fantasy of America. It's like he's the cold hard realist that makes it kind of come together. And we cheer for it because we don't want the show to end. But obviously, like if you actually look at it, it's pretty messed up. Well, I mean, it's all, it is all that stuff you're saying, but I think it's also like he's saying, like, it's the work. Like he really ultimately just cares about the work. Yeah, he and, says like, like it's more Don, profitable to forget this. Right, exactly. And so he he just wants Don to be Don. Like he doesn't care if he's Dick or whoever. If as long as he's doing what he's doing and doing it well and helping, you know, the the firm, it's like, yeah. He, he can be whoever him, he wants. This is a play. You know, he even right. says to Don earlier in the episode, it's like, this is football to them. Like, mm-hmm. Bert has that same attitude of, like, he doesn't care about things as, like, he's not a moralist, right? Right. Which I think gets down to, like, kind of like like we said before, the Nixon-Kennedy thing. Like, yeah, they care about it in the moment, but at the end of the day, you know, if Nixon loses, they'll just try to get Kennedy as their client. Like, they'll just move on. They'll do another, yeah, yeah. you know, thing. And obviously, they want their client. They're going to fight for it. But if it, you know, falls through, they'll just 
move on. You know, it's and Nixon not what the gets to live is. another day, right? Yeah. You know, there yeah. is that sort of like that's why Nixon concedes, even though like he has a path to sort of contest the election. He's just like, no, I'm going to go out gracefully because my time is coming, right? So yeah, so that's why I like about like the um, election thing is especially like it's all this dramatic tension and just sort of deflates, similar to like all this dramatic tension yeah. happened between Pete and Don, and just you know. The opposite thing happens, but yeah, it just kind of, yeah, it is what it How is. How many you know, other shows do that on TV? You know, other shows would be like, well, in order for the climax, in order for the tension to dissipate, we have to have like, like you said, like Don punch Pete or like Don kills Pete or something dramatic and whoa, holy moly. But instead it's not, it's yeah. real life adjacent. Well, I mean, that kind of goes back to like the, the revelation with Adam earlier when he like finds uh, Don or Dick again. You expect that moment where he goes to the apartment and he's going to like shoot Adam and like yeah, exactly. throw him over like a bridge or something and, you know, hide his identity and, you know, pretend Adam never existed. And it's just like, no, he just pays him off. And, he's yeah, not Tony Soprano. He's Don yeah. Draper. Right. Yeah. Which it, it makes it such a fascinating continuation and antithesis to Sopranos, given all the Sopranos people involved with the show and why i'm very happy i'm watching the show after sopranos yeah it's such a great successor in that sense because sopranos is so great at other things and this show is so great at other things like they're great compliments to each other without being clones of each other which i love um mike we've been spitting we've been kind of just like over here doing like rap battles against an invisible opponent um are you that opponent you guys kind of have me sold mike hated it he hated it No, I think I think you're completely right. I think it's so good to if you know I'm in a time capsule and I'm watching this episode without having seen the rest of the series. You know, you know, I'm watching it like I'm Will Ashton for the first time. My virgin eyes are laid upon this scene, and uh, a virgin like Don Draper. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's it's so good. It's so good that the, the whole season has been building this. Like, who is Don? Like, what is it? And the the answer is, who cares? Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's just so good. There's so many people watching it who are feeling the exact same way. It's just like, I don't care. I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Like, the mystery was like, better is, than the real answer. Lost. Like, yeah, this isn't lost. It doesn't have to be a reveal that also has nine more mysteries within it. Exactly. That's such a good point. Uh, The way that this show has such a stronger legacy than lost. I mean, that's certainly a key factor, isn't it? In terms of like the way that it handles its storytelling is way less sensationalized. Yeah. Like Burt Cooper isn't his long lost father, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler (laughs) alert. He's not. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Well, I know you were kind of like you had that on your your conspiracy list. Bingo. Um, by the way, I almost started this show cause like I, we kind of glossed over his conversation with Peggy who got like the security guard and the elevator operator in trouble, uh, cause she reported a theft and she's crying and she's upset and she, you know, Don has a reaction to her. But the first thing he says, he's like, Peggy, this is my office. Does that door mean nothing to you? I was going to start the show with like, Michael, this is my podcast studio. <laughs> Does that microphone need nothing to you? Um, but I forgot to do it. So I'm sorry. I scrambled. Wow, Door City over here. <laughs> exactly. I just rehearsed <laughs> it. Um, I didn't know you were watching the rehearsal on HBO Max. Watched, loved, big fan. Great. We'll have to have a chat about that on a later day when we have time. Um, I do want to say yeah. that Peggy's complaint was over modern day $30. Yes, that's true. Because she says $3, yeah, which in that time was a bit. But yeah, you can, you can reliably multiply by 10 and get like pretty close. Mm-hmm. I think she's I in the right. I, I googled it. 
I, if you stole $30 yeah, from me, yeah, I'd be like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. That was my lunch money, you jerks. She calls it her mad money. Um, yeah. Which I was, I forgot to look that up. Like, what does that mean? Well, it's Madison like the, Avenue money? Uh, what's it that? She gets paid for being on Mad Men. Oh, there it is. So it's Elizabeth Moss. And that. It's uh, the money she gets from <laughs> Jim Cramer, the host of Mad Money. What on, does Mad uh, Money that was the, mean? The, the actress's locker. Yeah. And oh, here we go. Discretionary. Like, the scene was so real. It, it means a discretionary money set aside for an emergency or for personal use. So that's why we don't know, because we don't save money between the three of us. Come on. Hmm. Anyway. Remember that movie Money Monster came out a few years ago? I never saw it. Yeah, I saw that. Is it good? No. It was like, what if Jim Cramer got in a hostage situation? Is that was like, yeah, because that was Clooney was? and um, Taron Egerton or something. <laughs> yeah. Or no, 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 no. It's, um, oh, he looks like Taron Egerton. Oh, Jack O'Connell. That's it. Yes, yes. That's right. Yeah. Julia Roberts. It's it's not terrible. We talked about it on uh, Now Conspiring, I think. Um, so that was oh, before your time, Will. Hmm. Wow, wow. The Now Conspiring name drop. Let's go. <laughs> it had to happen eventually. Uh, we didn't we didn't reference Now Conspiring, Mike, when we had you on the earlier episodes of Men. Maybe. I think we mentioned the other podcast. I don't think we, we, we said the name. Okay. It was a well, good anyway, name. There you go. I enjoyed it. Um, the podcast and the name. So that's kind of how this episode ends with uh, everybody kind of just going to their collective corners and taking a deep breath. Uh, is there any last thoughts on the episode? I mean, I know like there's plenty of stuff we didn't get to, but uh, I feel like we covered the main stuff, like the good stuff, I mean, especially. Should we talk about like that final shot with Don looking the at the TV? Speech. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. And like, what, what, what's your read of Don in that moment? Like what's going through his head? The, it's a concession speech from Nixon, isn't it? And right. he sees himself as Nixon. I think it's pretty clear cut. Sure. You know? okay. and, and sort of talk, I think it speaks to his attitude toward Pete because they purposely choose that Pete is like, I'm sure you're as enthusiastic about Pete Campbell as I, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you are about me, watchers of Mad Men. Right. I don't know. I didn't know if there was something deeper that I wasn't catching, but I mean, I, I figured that was apparent. There might be. Yeah. It is Mad Men. You never know. Mm-hmm. I, I did want to say something about Bert giving Don now the permission to fire Pete mm-hmm. Campbell, uh, being that he was the one who protected him before, and it was like, Don, you got to play the game. So interesting that he's now just like, hey, motherfucker yeah. blackmailed you. I get it. Like, right. But Fuck you don't know how, what, what, how, what's he say? You never how know loyalties how lo- where loyalty is born. Yeah, where or how, something to that effect. One never knows. Where, why oh. words? Uh, one thing I did want to casually mention, um, and I don't know if this was like an intentional thing or just something that I kind of read too much into, but the shot before, uh, Don runs into Pete's office and confronts, uh, him, there's like that shot of Don. It's like the rare shot we've seen where it's like Don out of focus. It's like, you know, it, it like zooms in on him, but it zooms in like too close. So it gets like a little out of focus. And I really like that it feels like this sort of like spontaneous moment for him. Like it's this like, oh. rare, like we see him as such a like well-kept guy. Someone yeah, who's yeah. like very like orderly and performant. And Always contained that's, like, the, in the frame, never, yeah, you know, broken right, exactly. or fragmented. Yeah. And this is like this rare moment where I, I don't know if it was like one of those things where like it's purposely kind of off kilter or like they ran through the shot and it went a little bit awry but then Weiner was in the edit and was like yeah, you know actually that's kind of more fitting if we did it this way it feels a little bit more honest and I don't know I just thought it was like a neat thing to 
to include in this episode. I don't know if that's just me, like I said, reading too much into it, but I felt very purposeful watching it, even though it might have been an accident. Happy accidents. Yeah, there you go. Um, which I'm going to get to as we finish out the show, actually. But um, real quick, I'll say that I think I think part of uh, the read you can also add to that last shot, Will, is, you know, Don is kind of finally listening to a mentor for the first time. He's taking Bert's advice of keeping an eye on Pete. And I think that that shot of like the Nixon concession speech, it more or less, I think, solidifies, you know, him conceding not just to Pete Campbell, but to his life at home and deciding not to leave Betty. I think that's kind of where it ends there. It's just sort of like to him, there was like the sort of like, do I move on to Rachel? And I, I go the path of Kennedy of you know, the young, younger, not younger wife, but like the sort of like new thing, like the next, like not the fifties, not Eisenhower, all that. Um, last thing I got guys is some trivia and we're done. Um, who's ready? Unless there were any final thoughts. I, I do what I have one question for Will and then we can do trivia. Okay. You haven't seen the end of the show. Will, who do you think has a better end of the decade? Nixon or Don? <laughs> yeah, it's a prediction. Who do you predict? Uh, I don't know. I'll give it to Don, but I don't know. Okay. Uh, we'll have to revisit that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, decade for Richard Nixon. Yeah, well, I was going to in terms of like long-term bets for the show. Uh, I mean, I don't think either of them are going to have a, a great decade ahead, but you know. Don is uh, the burglar that Nixon hires to go into the hotel. Uh, <laughs> that would be fun. Um, Anyways, I'm ready for trivia. You, uh, Mike, did you see The Post? The Post? Yeah, the movie The Post, Spielberg's. Yeah, oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. yes. You remember how at the end of that movie they had like an MCU teaser for Watergate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. very funny i wish that I they know. had had like a guy playing like carl bernstein like come out of a bush and be like right looking up at it and just being like it's time you know something well, like just that. like yeah just like a guy zooms into the rooms just like who are you call me bob woodward and just hard cut the black <laughs> he's wearing an eye and, patch for some reason and then you know like in the audience it's samuel like, l who's, jackson who's bob woodward it's like well yeah you, if you know it's just like some like yeah like the way you treat like whomever and like the a, usher is like breathlessly trying to explain yeah. it like the, the family of you, you go to youtube the post and credit scene explained and it's like right, yeah. soups from tiktok being like i could not believe we just got bob woodward Amazing I casting. Say, I, ha- I had a hard time watching this episode because I just got done watching um, American Horror Story double feature. It was like the season from last year, but like one of the stories is about Eisenhower signing a treaty with aliens, and then like Nixon's in it and JFK's in it, and basically everything that happens is because of aliens. Um, so take. I'm going to take that as a, you need to wrap this up <laughs> before we go down a tangent. We don't want to go down. Um, so real quick, some trivia. Uh, John Hamm broke his hand during the explosion scene that they were rehearsing oh. for the Korea yeah, in Korea. One of the first Did scenes they... that they shot for the episode. Oh, they shot that first. I was wondering if they shot that last because it looked like his sideburns were shorter. So I thought they well, might have. <laughs> that's yeah. weird that you noticed that, but uh, you might have noticed that his right hand is concealed for a lot of the scenes in this episode for that reason. Um, because he had to like wear a cast. Um, you can actually see his right hand is a little swollen if you look closely. Um, mm. when he uh, actually picks up Sally. So oh. 
Um, also, uh, Ritz Summer has said that they were going to use real alcohol for the party scenes, um, but they forgot to bring any. And he also said this was, his, this was his favorite day of shooting for season one. He and John Hamm say that this is their favorite episode of the season. Cool. Fun. Uh, the scene where Ken chases Allison and reveals her panties is based off a real practice from the time called scuttling. They would actually take the woman's panties off during the real version. So I had to bring that up because it's even worse than what we got yeah. in the show, which I'm glad that they didn't do that. Uh, very appreciative of that. Uh, one of the only improvised scenes in the show in this episode is when Stephanie Courtney, who plays Marge, of course, takes Peggy's drink and pours it into her cup after Peggy leaves, which I love. I love that little moment. Fun. Oh, that was improvised? That's fun. <laughs> um, you'll notice uh, an extra actually spills some alcohol on herself when Joan uh, kisses Sal. Um, I, I like to think that they were trying to channel Carol or something. <laughs> That's yeah. <laughs> Uh, but they, they, they left it in. She looks down at her. Yeah, she looks down at her bus. They left it in because it looks so realistic and it, would, it fits. Um, Joan mentioning Orson Welles in the line, you look so different when you're drunk, um, comes from Matthew Weiner, who said both of these things to Michael Gladys during the pilot shoot and the post pilot party, respectively. Obviously, a play on like he does look like Orson Welles when he plays the character that way. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was the case because, yeah, it seemed like a very like people brought that up on set and they're just like, you know what? We'll just put it in the episode. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Clearly not part of the intention of that character uh, necessarily. Uh, Harry's glasses in the show are rich summers, real glasses. Uh, they took a screw out of it to make them look broken, but they're not actually broken. Pete was not supposed to back up when Don came at him in that scene. Um, that was just Vincent Kardeiser's natural reaction. So like when Don kind of like steps up to him and he, you know, he kind of does that, that Even totally improvised up a little bit. He's yeah, like, yeah. He, not even improvise. It was just like a, a natural reaction. Yeah. And that's it. That's the trivia for this episode. Next week, we're going to talk about The Wheel, which has maybe not it's maybe not the best episode of the season compared to this one. But I think it genuinely has one of the, the all time great Mad Men pitches. Um, I think a lot of people argue it is the best one of the whole series. And I'm excited to watch it because I love rewatching this episode and uh, we'll be back for it. Yeah. Any last words? Uh... I mean, we can keep talking about the post if you want. <laughs> I think uh, I think we're good then. I think that's, I just, that means if, we're good. If, if anybody's listening and you didn't like this episode, who cares? There it is. There it <laughs> yeah. is. That's it. That's what we were waiting for. All right. See you next week, everyone. Bye-bye.